and be seated. Uh, good morning. Welcome. Glad to have you here with us today. Uh, if you're our guest, my name is Taylor and I serve here at Cross as, as lead pastor. And um, what we've been doing for the last uh, couple weeks, we started this last Sunday, is we are walking together right now through the Great Commission. Uh, you notice that has been our scripture reading a couple of weeks. That's going to be our scripture reading for the next uh, four weeks as well. And we just uh, challenge you to memorize that, internalize that. This is the mission and the purpose and the plan for the church, for the people of God. And so we are just working through that slowly together as a church family. And uh, we've got a lot of ground that we're going to try to cover this morning. Uh, if you're not quite awake yet, it would behoove you to become awake uh, in this moment because we are going to move really, really fast. Uh, we are going to cover a lot of scriptures. So just encourage you to jot some of these down in your notes, follow along as you go, talk about these things, continue in your community group, uh, even as we leave today. But let's just dive right in. Uh, it's 20 years ago this year that Robert Putnam wrote the best-selling book, Bowling Alone, uh, which was subtitled The Collapse and Revival of American Community. And uh, the book um, really w within it was, was talking about how the population at large at that time 20 years ago was really uh, trending toward the cycle of disconnecting from clubs, from civic associations, from local churches. So two decades ago, he already saw in the West this drift towards a little bit of an isolationist approach to life. And, and this, of course, predated the explosion uh, in the mid-2000s of smartphones and of social media, which uh, increasingly are just being linked to levels of isolation. MIT Tech Review released a study just a few months ago, along with many others, where it's just becoming clearer and clearer and clearer uh, that our device usage, our social media engagements, uh, that an overuse of that is leading to increased levels of depression, of anxiety, of isolation, even of aggression. And, and so it's all sort of been exacerbated by, by there was already a trend away from community, and then, and then that was just sped up by the fact that we now uh, have these devices that oftentimes encourage us to be alone in our hands. And in a lot of different ways, with the very best of intentions, there's ways that the church has actually contributed to this isolationist culture. So because of the rise uh, of digital technology, because of what's available to us today, um, the bottom line is this morning, you could sit at home uh, and you could listen to the best preaching from anywhere in the world. You could watch it on TV. You could listen to it uh, via podcast. You could watch a, a live stream. And so uh, what's happening in our culture today, there's starting to be this, this drift, particularly within my generation, where uh, we see digital sermon content as being a legitimate replacement for the gathering together with the people of God. And the, the thinking is, well, uh, I, this is what I need for myself. And so why commit uh, to the messiness of the local church? Why commit to the inconvenience of the local church when I can basically uh, sit at home and get what I need uh, from a sermon? And so I think the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, is that sufficient to be a people who are faithfully fulfilling the mission that God has given us? But we just saw this from the catechism this morning about how there's one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons. Can we adequately reflect that God to the world around us if we too don't live in community the way God himself is in community? Because there's, there's one thing that, that you and I need to, to look at this morning whenever we, we stand in light of sort of cultural drift and we see, stand in light of what God's word is actually driving us to do, we have to ask ourselves, can we fulfill this mission alone? Can we truly be faithful to the mission of Jesus? Can we truly fulfill everything he's given us to do as followers of Jesus Christ if we are not fully invested in the community of the local church? So uh, just to recap last week, we said very simply that our mission for our church and not just mission for our church, but Christ's mission for his church is to be a people who preach the gospel and make disciples more specifically. We said that we exist to glorify God, 
uh, by first and foremost being disciples who make disciples of all nations. We define a disciple as a learner or a follower who, who knows Christ, is growing in Christ, who goes on mission for Christ. We drew that definition from Matthew 4:19, his invitation to his disciples, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then we just broke down, took a broad overview of the Great Commission uh, in three basic components, how Christ has all power. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Christ has given us a plan, go and make disciples of all nations. Christ made us a promise, I am with you always. And the mission statement that we embrace as a church is that statement simply because we see this is what Jesus intends for his church to be doing. When Christ gives the great commission, he begins it with a declaration of his power and his authority. And in that power and authority, he gave us the instruction to make disciples. The great commission was not, go ye therefore and make playlists of your favorite sermons and listen to them in isolation. The great commission was go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And if we're gonna adequately reflect the God that we worship and we're gonna adequately be faithful to the mission that Christ has given us, this is something that we have to do together. So uh, what we're gonna see today from Matthew chapter 28 is that Christ in his authority has given us mandates to multiply. Now, uh, last week I told you, our, our plan coming in this week, we were gonna look uh, really at what it meant to make disciples of all nations. But uh, I got into my message prep this week, got to about uh, middle of the day, Tuesday, early Wednesday, and just started seeing that there was plenty for us to focus on just with these two words, make disciples. But because I, I don't want us just to overlook that command because it's, it's a command and it's a direction that can become really convoluted. And there can be lots of, of opinions about what that actually looks like. And so we're this entire morning today actually gonna look just at those two words, make disciples. And then next week, we're gonna come back around uh, of looking at how we do that of all nations. This is not something that we can do in isolation. So last week, we saw the what of the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Today, we're really gonna look at the why and we're gonna look at the how. This task of making disciples, it can seem broad, it can seem undefinable, but today we're gonna show that God from his word has not just told us what to do, he has given us a pattern for how to do it so that we can fulfill our mandates to multiply. So let's read again uh, one more time this morning. We've already read it again, but we're just gonna continue to read it, challenge you to memorize it in these coming weeks if you haven't already from Matthew 28. Let's read verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I don't know what kind of Bible that you're holding in your hands this morning or looking at on your device, but this is what I think I can safely assume is that if you're, you're holding a Bible, you're looking on a device that I think I can safely assume that the subheading of verses 16 through 20 is not the great suggestion. I think I can confidently make that assertion because what we're given here by Jesus is not given to us by way of suggestion. It's given to us as a commission. A commission is a charge. It's an instruction. It's a command. It's a duty. It's assignment. It's, it's not Jesus saying, hey, it would be really cool if you guys did this. Like just, just personally, I know I've spent a few years with you. I'm going now to be with the Father. If you think about it, just go. Now, this is the final parting instruction that he gives to his disciples and to the church uh, for, all, for, for all ages. And so what we need to see right away this morning before we get in to this work of making disciples, we need to understand that our mission is a mandate. It's a mandate. It's not given to us as a suggestion. It's given to us as 
a commission. Now, uh, when you break down that word uh, go in, in the Greek, um, it's a participle that's linked to the imperative in this sentence, which in this particular sense is to make disciples. Almost every single time you see the word go used in the New Testament, it's inextricably linked to the command that follows. And so in this sense, it's to go and make uh, disciples. Now, um, there is a little bit of debate about how this word should be translated. Should it just be translated as this single command to go? Should it be translated in more of an active sense, such as uh, as you go or as you are going, uh, make disciples. We'll talk about how this is something that should be happening in the day-to-day. But if you uh, know the background of Matthew's gospel, he's writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, which means Matthew does a lot of things all the way through the gospel account that really point the minds and the attention of the Jewish people back to things that are happening in the Old Testament. And, and by using this type of language of giving this commission and then giving them specific instructions to follow that ties into the mission of God, for the first people who were reading this text, what would have uh, happened in their minds is they would have gone back to Deuteronomy chapter six, which is not the giving of the great commission, but the giving of the great commandment. So if you wanna turn with me in your Bibles, uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, um, we're gonna read verses four through nine. In Hebrew culture, this is known as uh, the Shema, which means to listen. It was uh, a daily prayer in the life of the Jewish people that's formed around the great commandment and it served uh, as the foundation of the Mosaic law and how people were to respond. And while we're reading this, I want you to look at the, the parallels between the great commandment in uh, Deuteronomy chapter six and the great commission of Matthew chapter 28, because there's lots of connections. So hear how the great commandment starts. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the truth we centered on in the catechism this morning. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So it starts with a declaration of who God is. And in the same way, in the Great Commission, Christ begins with the declaration of who he is and what he has. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then here comes the instruction. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And now here's the instructions that he gives. Here's the plan. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, so in Matthew 28, again, Jesus establishes his authority over heaven and earth. And in his authority, he gives the great commission, which was to go and make disciples. And here in Deuteronomy chapter six, there's the establishment of God's authority. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And in that authority is given the great commandment. And the instruction is to disciple people in the word. And both of them carry with it this sense of as the people are going. And so whether you wanna translate that as a command to just specifically go or as you were going on the way throughout the day-to-day of her life, the implication is really the same. The call here from both the great commandment and the great commission is that we be people who live lives that are saturated by the word of God. But what we see there in Deuteronomy chapter six, this is such a far cry from, hey, make sure you show up to a building one day a week. I mean, what, what, is, what does Moses say to the people? What's the Lord speaking through him as he gives the law to them? No, saturate your life in this. Saturate your life in this. He says, he says yeah, gather together once a week, sure, but teach these things to your children. Talk about it at home. Talk about it when you're walking. Talk about it when you lay down. Talk about it when you wake up. Wear the word like jewelry on your wrists or on your head. A frontlet is a, is a head ornament. It's something that would dangle in front of the eyes. And so this, the sense that Moses is giving when he says this is keep the word of God at the forefront of your life at all times. It's a picture of a life that's saturated by the word of God. And we hear that and in our minds, I think initially we might think, man, that sounds impossible. 
but like, how can I live my life? I mean, every single conversation, everywhere that I'm going, but, but think about this with me for just a moment. This is actually more attainable for us than any other people in human history because of those little devices we carry in our pockets. So just to go back and, and redeem them from the, the opening of this, I want you to think about this for, for just a moment. The opportunity that we have with these little devices we carry in our pockets to live lives that are continually immersed in the word of God. Have we ever considered for, for just a moment that maybe the reason the Lord has given us these devices is something greater than political memes and cat videos? Like, like we, we've, maybe he's actually making this commandment more attainable to us by allowing us to have these. And so don't hear me saying this morning, let's reject these things. Hear me saying, let's redeem them for the glory of God. Let's use them to advance the mission of the gospel. Let's use them to immerse ourselves in. So I, I've listed out here just several resources. You could jot some of these down if you want this list later. I'll be glad to catch up with you after service. So think about what's available to you digitally. I mean, we have an embarrassment of riches digitally that are accessible to us uh, surrounding the word of God. So uh, if, on, on the phone, if you've got just a simple Bible app that you carry around, just the regular Bible app has uh, hundreds of translations. There's dozens of reading plans. There's devotional plans. There's uh, some commentary attached to that. The ESV.org app is a great, it's a great subscription that's worth, I think, three bucks a month that you pay. My favorite Bible app right now is Dwell. It's awesome. You can like set the Bible to ambient music and you choose the voice. It will literally read the Bible to me. Like I'm do it myself. I can just ride around on my card. It's being read over me. I love that app. There's online Bible tools like a Blue Letter Bible. If you really want to dig into the languages, that's a free app. Or if you want to pay a little bit, there's Logos Bible software. Uh, we as a church family make available to you right now media. Uh, if you're not on this, you need to get on this. It's like a Netflix of Christian Bible study. Take your next steps card this morning. Check right now media. Give us your name, email address. We'll add you. And there's hundreds. There's a whole video library of Bible study resources. Got sermon podcasts and videos. I mean, you can go listen uh, today. Sermons from, from John Piper, from Tim Keller, from Matt Chandler, from Francis Chan, whoever you want across the board, it's all available there. For, for prayer, David Platt has a daily podcast, four or five minutes long, uh, called Pray the Word, where he just takes a passage of scripture and he literally just, just prays through it. Desiring God has a great app called Fighter Verses that works towards scripture memory. And then there's other great online ministries. If you've got, you've got just big questions about the Christian faith and you're, you're struggling with Bible study and you, you hit a stumbling block somewhere, look, look into the Gospel Coalition, Nine Marks, Ligonier, Desiring God, all of these resources, most of them are free and they're available to us. It's more accessible to us now than ever to live lives that are saturated and immersed in the word of God. So hear me again this morning. We don't have to reject this technology. We need to keep it in its place. It needs to be remaining in its proper place. It should not be a replacement for the people of God. It should be a supplement to being with the people of God. But we can absolutely redeem them for the glory of God. Have we considered that maybe the Lord has given us these things? so that we can live lives saturated by his word and fulfill this great commission to advance the gospel to all nations. So as we go, when we go, we immerse our lives, we immerse our homes, we immerse our families in the word of God as we fulfill this call to make disciples. But here's where you and I could get in trouble thinking of this in terms of a mandate, is that we then start to do this just out of some sort of empty, begrudging submission to Jesus because he's just given us as a command and I'm trying to obey the commands and I'm just gonna go do it because Jesus said to do it. And, and, and that is not what Christ is, is after. Listen to how he talks to his disciples. This is in John chapter 14 to help us see that we, we don't participate in the mission of God 
out of begrudging submission to Jesus. We do this because as people have surrendered our lives to him, as people who have been saved by him, who've been transferred from death to life, it's our joy and our privilege to be able to participate with him in his mission. We do this out of a heart that overflows in love for him. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And our command here in Matthew 28 is is to do what? To go and make disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And and here though, we we gotta keep reading because this is important. Verse 16, he says, and I will ask the father and he will send you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. So again, today we're focusing on those two words, make disciples, but in focusing on that, let's not disconnect that command from the promise of the great commission, which is that Christ is with us always. Church, understand this morning, the great commission is not the hunger games. Like God is not some evil game maker who has set you up for failure while he gets to sit out from the distance and watch you die. He doesn't just send us out and set us up for failure, something we can't do. He doesn't just send us, he goes with us. And so you and I can rest assured anything God's word commands us to do, he's commanding us to do it because he has promised that he's going to do it through us and for us. God's word will never command what his spirit will not supply. If he's given you the direction, he will make the provision. He's with us always to the end of the age. That's why John can write in his epistle in 1 John 5, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. So here it is in verse two, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Why can John say that the commandments aren't burdensome? Why can John say this impossible task of the Great Commission is not a burden? Because we have been promised the help of the Holy Spirit. Because God is not setting us up for failure. Because God is not putting something on us that he's not going to accomplish through us. If he's given the direction, he will make the provision. And what his word commands, make disciples, his spirit will supply. And he promises I'm with you always. So our mission is to mandate. And second, what we really wanna focus on this morning is that our mission is to multiply. We have been given a mandate to multiply. We don't do this out of begrudging submission to God. We do this out of hearts that overflow with love for God, regenerated hearts with new desires. We do this out of love for our neighbor. We do this out of faithful obedience to what Christ has commanded us in his word. Our mission is to multiply. From the dawn of creation, God's intention and desire has been the multiplication of his image to the ends of the earth. So uh, Genesis chapter one, after he creates man and woman, he performs the very first wedding ceremony right there uh, in the garden. And then God gives them the command. What's the very first command that he gives man and woman in the garden? It's called the cultural mandate. It's to be fruitful and multiply, be fruitful and multiply. And then uh, after preserving Noah and his family through the flood, he commands them when they leave the ark to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. That's Genesis 9. Then later on, God raises up Abraham and he promises to make him a great nation. He promises him in Genesis 22, I will surely bless you and I will surely, spoiler alert, multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And the command here in Matthew chapter 28 is to multiply. Go and make disciples of all nations. From start to finish in scripture, God's intention and desire is the multiplication of his image to the ends of the earth. So when he calls us to make disciples, think about this. 
he is inviting us into doing the work that he has been doing since the dawn of creation. We get to participate with him in this. So that's the what, make disciples. Go and make disciples. This is the mandate that we've been, this is the mission that we've been given is to multiply. But how on earth do we actually do this? Because we've got the what down. I mean, we have hit the what, I think, ad nauseum for about a sermon and a half here now for the last couple of weeks. But how in the world do we actually do this? Um, Lord willing, here, when we wrap up this message series in a few weeks, we're going to spend a few months actually just looking and studying from the scripture the different points of our doctrinal statement start to finish. And so the doctrinal statement we embrace as a church is the Baptist faith and message. And in our statement of belief regarding the scriptures, we find these words about the Bible says that the Bible is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. I love that. It's a perfect treasure of divine instruction. As complicated as this mission to make disciples can sound, you and I can rest assured that God's word has not just told us what to do, his word has also revealed how to do it. He's not set us up for failure in this. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. But last week we said before we can make disciples, we have to be disciples. And so before we can just jump into the how we do this, we gotta talk about who we have to become and the work that God calls us to in prayer and the foundation he calls us to build. So how do we become disciples? Well, well first we become disciples through surrender. We become disciples through surrender. Last year at about this time, we looked at this parallel verse in Mark's gospel, the call to follow Christ. And we looked at for five, six weeks at the beginning of last year, what it means to be all in followers of Jesus, that it's not enough to say that we love Jesus. It is not enough to say that we are Christians. If we follow Christ, we say we're followers of Christ. We follow him on his terms, not ours. And these are the terms that Christ lays out to us in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come, come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is how Jesus invited people to follow him. He invited this. This was the base invitation. This was not graduate level Christianity. This was kindergarten. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And then he, he offers a warning, but also a promise. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And church, I don't want us to gloss over this this morning because you and I are living in a world and we are living even in a church culture today that is training us to do the opposite of what Jesus calls here in Matthew 16. The world we're living in today says, indulge yourself, promote yourself, exalt yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. The world we're living in today says, pursue comfort and follow your heart. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. The world says, live for yourself before you die. And Jesus says here, die to yourself that you might live. The world we're living in today says, be yourself. You were born that way. Jesus says, come to me and be born again. This is what he calls us to. Now, there's a hymn that we sang in my church a lot growing up that many of you probably grew up singing as well titled, I Surrender All. I Surrender All. All to Jesus, I Surrender. You know, that, that word all, there's not a lot of gray area in it, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's all encompassing. If you look it up in the Greek, it means all. It means everything. You know, but I, th I think if we were being completely honest, that if we rewrote that hymn today to fit modern Christianity in the West, we'd have to retitle it, I Surrender Some. 
Because what's being preached and what's being written about and what's being blogged about is not a message of deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. It's a message that says you can live your life however you want. You can, you can live without the consequences of your sin. You can indulge your sin. You can embrace your sin. You can make every excuse for your sin because God is love, because God is grace, because God is mercy. He will accept you and he will forgive you. Listen, a gospel without repentance of our sin and faith in Jesus Christ is a gospel that will lead to damnation. We can't mince words on this. We, we can't look over this. If we are ourselves, if we as followers of Jesus, I'm not asking, did you grow up in the church? I'm not asking, did you repeat a prayer when you were little? I'm not asking, did you go through a confirmation process? I'm not asking you if you were baptized. I'm not asking you any of those things. Have you hung the hopes of your soul on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Have you looked at him and raised your hands and called on him as Lord over every area of your life? Because until we have gone all in with him, we haven't gone in at all. If we're surrendering some, we're surrendering none. And we can't make disciples until we become disciples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Christian martyr during, uh, during the Nazi regime in Germany, died for his faith in Christ. He wrote in his famous book, The Cost of Discipleship, very simply, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. But this is the paradox and promise of the gospel. If you try to hold on to this life now, you will lose it for eternity. But if you and I will lose this life now, if we'll die to ourselves now, we will gain Christ for eternity. If we hold on to our lives, we'll lose them. If we'll lose our lives, we'll keep them. I just wanna ask again this morning, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Your life, everything within your life, everything that you are and everything that you have and every piece of your identity that this world has said is your own, have you surrendered it all to Jesus? And have you put yourself in a place where you said, there's nothing that I will hold on to that will keep me from following you? We become disciples through surrender. And then second, very quickly here, we, uh, the Lord, excuse me, the Lord sends disciples through supplication. So this is how we become followers of Christ is through our total surrender to Jesus, denying ourselves, taking up our crosses and following him. But then the Lord sends out his disciples through our prayer, through supplication. So uh, we looked at this passage very briefly a couple of weeks ago from Luke chapter 10. So Jesus says to them, he, he said, the harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. So what's the response? Pray earnestly. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. So the Lord calls us to be his disciples and then we call on the Lord to send out his disciples. So again, this is what we did two weeks ago as we closed our worship time that morning, getting on our knees and that's, that's what we did. We just pled for the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. When we gather in this room this coming Saturday night at seven o'clock for prayer, that's what we're doing is to come together to plea with the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, that we would be the laborers that go out into this harvest. We lay our lives before that. And this is, this is both of these are required because we, we could jump right into the, the how we actually do this, but, but it's so important that we recognize both the surrender and the supplication because what we see right away is this is a work we cannot do in our own power. We have to be people who have totally surrendered ourselves to the plan and purpose of Jesus Christ. And then we have to be a people who remain continually dependent upon him for the fulfillment of this mission. I just wanna ask us a question this morning. Is what we are asking for in prayer making us more or less dependent on Jesus? And if it's making us less dependent on him, what does that say about our prayer? 
What would it look like for us to be a people who instead of just praying for things that will bring us greater comfort, things that will bring us greater ease, what if we were asking him to do things that required us to live in total and complete dependence upon him? Things that we knew were only gonna be possible by his strength and his power and his spirit within us. We need both. Lives that are surrendered him and a work of continually pleading with him, pleading with him to send out labors in the harvest. So, so that's, that's the foundation that we have to have. We have to have a foundation of being surrendered to him. We have to have a foundation of praying for him to send out. And yet, scripture shows us there is a clear culture and environment you are called to create that will allow this, this discipling uh, mission to thrive. There are things we are called to do uh, in our strength. The Lord gives us by his Holy Spirit to go about and, and set up so that this mission of making disciples can flourish within uh, the local church. So uh, this is pretty much where we're gonna go for the rest of the sermon here today for about 10 minutes. It's gonna move really, really quickly. Um, is uh, we're gonna look at several passages of scripture because I want you to see from scripture, which is a perfect treasure of divine instruction, that God's word gives us a path for how disciples are made, for what type of culture and environment we should foster and create uh, so that discipleship will thrive. So uh, we're gonna look at about five different pieces of scripture. And all I'm gonna do, I'm gonna read the scripture and at the same time, three things are gonna happen. These scriptures are the illustration of how we go about doing this. These scriptures are the application as well of, of what uh, we need to be doing and how we can respond and also uh, a little bit of explanation. I'll make a few comments on each one uh, as we go through. So how does the church actually make disciples? If you uh, have been in any sort of training environment, mentoring environments, uh, there's a, a very basic approach to training someone to do something uh, that, that is pretty transferable, transferable in most spheres of life. And it's, it's an approach where you take on someone who's new Either it's a new coworker, a new employee, or, or in our context, someone who's recently come uh, to follow Jesus. And, and there's really four different spheres that we can move them through. And what, the first sphere starts with, with me saying, hey, what's gonna happen is I'm, you're gonna come with me, but I'm gonna work and, and you're gonna watch, you're gonna observe. And, and then as we progress and grow a little bit, now you and I are gonna work together. And then when we move a little bit further, you're gonna go work and now I'm gonna observe, I'm gonna give you some feedback. And then ultimately, I'm going to release you to do this work. This is the pattern that we see in the New Testament. And so let's look at all of these spheres, starting with uh, the, the modeling of this, creating environment for this, uh, all, all the way to the sending out of new disciples. So uh, how does the church make disciples? First, we do this through caring community. Again, we've, we've established a, a foundation of uh, living lives that are surrendered to Jesus Christ, that are, that are built on a foundation of prayer, and then you and I have a responsibility to foster an environment of caring community. And here's how we see it play out in the book of Acts. Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. Listen to the simplicity of this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And what was the result of that? Look at the language that's gonna change so far. What we've seen in verses 42 through 46 is a lot of they language. These are the things that the church was doing. They were devoting themselves to teaching. 
to prayer, to fellowship, to communion. They were making sure no one went out in need. Everyone saw it as their responsibility uh, to participate in the pastoral care of the congregation. And now watch how the language shifts and watch what the result is. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number. Day by day, those who were being saved. Who added to that number? The Lord. They were doing all of this work. This is what they were called to do, to build this culture of caring community where we're centered on the teaching of the word of God. We're together in fellowship. We care for each other's needs. We're in prayer. We take communion together. And so when we understand the work of the Great Commission, what we do need the foundation that the Lord's doing all of it. We have a responsibility. The Lord's doing all of it in the backdrop, but you and I need to understand what is God's role and what's our role. And what we see here from Acts 2, the Lord is responsible for the work of addition and you and I are called to the work of multiplication. You and I don't save anybody. It's it's not our responsibility. Like the hope of the salvation of this world does not hinge on our efforts. And that's great because I'm, I'm like, I look at myself, I'm a clown. If this was up to me, we're in trouble. It's not up to us. It's up to us to to share the word. It's up to us to develop the culture where the word can thrive. It is the Lord who adds to the number. It is the Lord who brings about new birth. This is not something that you and I can manufacture on our own, but what you and I can do, what we're called to do, is to develop a culture where that new life can thrive, and that requires the caring community of the local church. You cannot get Acts 2 through a podcast. You just can't do it. Yes, we can get teaching, but we miss so much else. We miss the ordinances. You miss being able to gather together around a pool like we're gonna do here in a couple weeks and celebrate people who are taking their next steps in baptism as followers of Christ. You miss the awkward messiness of standing up in the gathering of believers each week and making your way to the table to be reminded of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ for you. You miss the messiness of that brother or sister who's singing maybe just a little bit off key behind you but with the confidence of knowing that it's a fragrant offering and sound in the throne room of heaven. You can't get that in a podcast. And God calls us to this intentional, caring community where discipleship can thrive. Second, uh, it requires delegating responsibility. How do we make disciples? Well, at some point in time, as we develop this caring community, we've got to share this burden and responsibility of care with one another, which requires uh, delegating some responsibility. And I love this picture from Acts chapter six. Now, uh, this is gonna surprise some of you, but uh, believe it or not, churches 2,000 years ago had communication and organization problems. I'm glad we've, we've graduated from all that since then. Uh, those things never happen uh, anymore, uh, but they did in fact have problems. And so uh, this is how they addressed the problem here in Acts chapter six. It says, uh, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose. I know people used to complain back then too. It's weird, like it's, it's hard for us to understand. It arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now that's a problem, right? This is a problem that the people are not being cared for uh, to the extent that they should be cared for. And so uh, what happens here? What's the response? It says, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples, what's that say? multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So again, look at this picture. 
And, and listen, I'm, I'm gonna say something here for, for just a second, and we're gonna look at it again here in a moment in Ephesians chapter four, that's gonna be very, very difficult for some of you to receive, not because it's not clear in God's word, but because of the church culture that you've grown up in. I'm gonna say it, and it's initially going to sound negative, but then I wanna point us back to the word of God because I want us to see that it's very much a positive thing. So, so here it is. It is not my responsibility. It is not the responsibility of our staff. It is not the responsibility of our elders to do all of the work of the ministry. It's not. And, and you, you look across the evangelical landscape in America right now, and you ask the question, why are 90% of churches plateaued or declining? If you'll indulge my rant here for just a second, I'll tell you why. But because most of them are sitting half empty, a third empty, full of people who are sitting on their hands, mad that their pastor isn't doing the work that all of them should be participating in. And then they show up on Sunday morning and moan, why aren't his sermons good? I'm like, because the brother never gets two minutes to sit down and study because you've got impossible, unreasonable requirements for him. And look at the picture of what happens in Acts chapter six, whenever the apostles were able to focus on what they should be focused on, which was prayer and the ministry of the word. When every single person saw pastoral care as their responsibility, not any one person's responsibility, the need was met and the word continued to multiply. So this requires every single one of us participating in this mission. Listen, do not hear me saying this morning that myself, our staff are not engaged in these things. I'm glad to show you my, my planner just from last week. I mean, Thursday alone, I had five, six different meetings with folks in our congregation. I'll go make a pastoral care visit uh, this afternoon. Someone in our congregation who took a, fell, uh, a fall yesterday. We're all involved. We're all engaged in these things. But hear us when we say, Cross Community Church, we will not be the only ones engaged in these things. This requires the full army of the people of God saying, this is our responsibility to ensure that every care is met. And when you and I are a church where it's not one person or 500 people expecting one person to serve, but 500 people who are willing to serve each other, watch what the Lord does with that. Watch how the word of God will continue to multiply. It requires delegating responsibility. Quickly here from Luke 10, it requires significant opportunity. I love this. This is Jesus modeling this for us. So up at this point in time in the gospel of Luke, uh, he has spent a lot of time with his disciples. He's modeled things for them. Uh, and now what he's gonna do, this is kind of moving into the, the third phase here. He's going to send them out to work a little bit. He's gonna supervise and then debrief with them when they come back. So let's read this quickly from Luke 10, one through 12. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, he gives them instruction. Again, doesn't just send them out blindly. He's not just gonna send them out without any sort of direction. He gives them clear instruction. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So he does not, he does not give them any sort of superficial understanding about what they're gonna go do. But listen, folks are not gonna be happy with you. This may not always go well for you, but he says, he's teaching them to, to go in faith. He says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will turn to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, so again, he's, he's set them up to know like, listen, there's, there's gonna be some rejection here. So just be prepared for that. 
So they don't receive you. Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for, the, uh, for Sodom than for that town. So uh, now skip forward by verses. The disciples have gone on their little journey. They, they've gone out and they're now gonna come back and recap to Jesus what has happened. So you go to Luke 10, uh, verses 17 through 20. It says the 72 returned with joy. So they're, they're pumped. Like they, they came out, they've gotten to go out and do this on their own a little bit. And they're gonna come back and this is the report they give to Jesus. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then I love what Jesus does here because he's gonna give them uh, both encouragement and then he's also gonna give them some very constructive feedback to remind them of what's most important. He's cheered on like a proud dad here. I love this. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I love that. Like he's just cheering them. I'm like, yeah, guys, that was awesome. That's amazing. He's encouraging them on that they've, they've gone out in faith and there's, there's been success in their mission. It says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Isn't that incredible? This is the power and authority that Jesus has given. And we ask, what could be greater than that? Jesus tells them, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. I love this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus says to them, your your identity is not wrapped up in what you can do. Your identity is wrapped up in who you are. And there's something even better than the demons being subject to you. And it's that your father in heaven knows your name. So they come back, they're excited, but then he keeps them grounded. He speaks into their life. He's given them that significant opportunity to go out, to experience success, even an opportunity to fail. Fourth, we see this requires equipping for maturity. This kind of ties back to Acts chapter two as well. What type of environment should we foster here in the church? Well, what we see here in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 16, again, you ask the question, why, why has the Lord given pastors and elders and leaders to the church? What is our responsibility? What should we be focused on? This is what Paul shows us in Ephesians four. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip, that is my primary responsibility as a pastor is to equip our church to fulfill this mission of preaching the gospel and making disciples. And listen to the language that Paul uses for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children. So this is Paul saying, listen, if this work of equipping is not happening in the church. We're not doing this delegation of responsibility. We're not giving people significant opportunities. We're not creating an environment where where there's care and where there's intentional discipleship, where people are being raised up within the church. We will remain children in our faith. This will stunt the growth, not just the numerical growth of our church, the spiritual growth of our church. If If we never get to that place that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, which is which it equipped with each part is working together properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We have to have all these components in place. There has to be an environment and a culture of care for new believers that's built on a foundation of people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, who are committed to the work of prayer, pleading for the Lord of Harvest to send out labors. And as we do that, we develop a culture of care that nurtures new life in Christ. 
And as that, that, that care continues to develop, we delegate some responsibility to people that gives them the opportunity to put their God-given gifts to use. And ultimately, we'll send them out under a little bit of, of supervision. We're gonna give them an opportunity to succeed. We're gonna give them an opportunity to fail. We're gonna encourage them, and then we're also going to challenge them. Because all, And then we're gonna continually, uh, week in and week out, every time we gather together as the church, every time we come together in a small group, we are equipping one another for the building up of the church because ultimately there's coming the day where we'll be releasing into ministry. And that brings us back to the Great Commission in Matthew 28. From the day Jesus met his disciples, he prepared them for the moment that he would leave. For three years, he trained them to become spiritual self-feeders because he wasn't always gonna be physically with them. His spirit is gonna come dwell within them. But from the day he met them, he was preparing them for the fact that he was going to leave. And this small little ragtag misfit band of followers of Jesus in the first century against every conceivable odd became part of a movement that changed the course of all of human history. Because of what Jesus did with them, because of how he walked with them. So when we you get to the end of all this, that's a lot. It's a lot of scripture. It's a lot to process, plenty for you to talk about in your groups. And so we ask the questions we close today. You know, what, what is the next step? Okay, what, what can I do with this? Well, honestly, I, I think there's something for every single person in this room today. For, for some of you, the need might be just a, a renewed commitment to pray and to immerse yourself in the word of God, to redeem what God has given you so that you can surround yourself with the word of God. Just embrace it and, and live within it, dwell within it, abide within it. For some, it's, it's about becoming part of a caring community. Maybe it means joining a community group this year to be a part of a small group where, where life is nurtured and there's intentional discipleship, there's development, you're participating in the care of the congregation with the people of God. For some of you, that may look like completing covenant membership within our local church or just saying, hey, I wanna be fully invested in that work here at Cross Community. For, for all of us in some capacity involves serving, using our God-given gifts to ensure that the, the ministry of the word continues to flourish, to give of our time, treasure, talent, of our resources, to ensure uh, that the ministry of, of God's church continues to go forward. But for others this morning, your, your initial call today might not be to make disciples, but to become a disciple, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to, to come to the place of total surrender where you can honestly say, there's nothing in my life that I'm holding back from Jesus and it all belongs to him. Let me tell you what you can't find in a podcast. You can't find the celebration of baptism. You can't find the coming to the table that we're gonna hear, do here in, in just a moment. You can't find the intentional relational community of God's people, and you most definitely cannot find faithfulness to the mission of God. This is the work that Christ has called us to, is God himself exists in community and has from the beginning of time been about the multiplication of his glory to the ends of the earth. Earth. This is the work that he's called us to participate in today, and it's the work he invites us into this morning. So Father, as we close today, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've not just called us to go. You've shown us what to do. Father, help us to be a people who faithfully follow the blueprint in your word for how to make disciples within your local church. Let every one of us today see what it is you're calling us to do next, where you're calling us to go, how you're calling us to serve, how you're calling us to commit. Father, even for someone in this room this morning who is in a place where they say, I wanna surrender my life to Jesus Christ, would today, this morning, this moment, be the time when they say, Jesus, I belong to you. I'm holding nothing back from you. To deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow you. 
Lord, bring new life in this room this morning and renew your church with a greater fervency for your mission.